Welcome to the Voice Over Work podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Newton Media Group, a family of creative services. Today is Saturday, October 9th, 2021. On the podcast today, we take a little deeper look into a book introduced in a previous podcast with a chapter-by-chapter look at Thinking in Algorithms, How to Combine Computer Analysis and Human Creativity for Better Problem Solving and Decision Making. Strategic Thinking Skills, Book 2, written by Albert Rutherford, narrated by Russell Newton. Chapter 1. Homo Irrationalis Humans are strange creatures. We often do things that don't make sense, sometimes even to ourselves. What makes us more willing to purchase a product for $4.99 than for $5? Why do we get items for 50% off that we would never buy at full price? And what makes us so eager to use products celebrities use when we have nothing in common? Many of our decisions in life are seemingly random or based on whims, but even our most illogical actions are formulaic. As Dan Ariely says in his book, predictably irrational. These irrational behaviors of ours are neither random nor senseless. They are systematic. And since we repeat them again and again, predictable. Ariely is a psychology and behavioral economics professor at Duke University, a field of study that focuses on answering questions just like those we've posed. Researchers like Ariely have discovered the patterns behind our senseless habits by studying the effects of psychological, social, cognitive, and emotional factors on our economic decisions. Behavioral economics not only teaches us about how our emotions, feelings, and biases affect our shopping, but our entire lives. The truth about our gut feeling. We often talk about our gut feeling as this visceral, spur-of-the-moment urge to go in a certain direction or make a particular choice an impulse towards doing what we feel is right. Similarly, we might tell someone to listen to their heart as a way of following their passions and desires, using their emotions to do what's best. Yet we also tell people just as often to use their head. We think of using logic. Chapter 2. Machina Sapiens In our world of modern technology, many decisions we make are weighed heavily by the algorithms of machines, although we may not always know it. Whenever we Google a question, scroll through social media, or click on an ad, we're setting off complex calculations. Take, for instance, a simple search for a car repair service. You type into the Google search bar, car repair service, and get the answer you need in a few seconds. But in those seconds, numerous formulas are running Google uses specific algorithms to select pages from millions of options to find the most helpful for you, considering your location and your previous inquiries about cars and car repairs. It factors in similar pages you've looked at before and which ones you've liked and clicked on or not liked and quickly exited out of or scrolled past. Depending on what you've searched before, Google may even have a good idea of what car you have and recommend car repair services specifically for those vehicles. The search engine weighs all these elements 
based on importance and relevance while also using its standards to assess the page itself. The algorithm looks through texts and images to see if the selections are good sites or not, meaning that they're comprehensive and match applicable search terms. And it does all this in the blink of an eye. We don't think about how complicated this underground search process is when we type our question. We're just happy to find a result that will help us get our car fixed. But if we consider how much headache and time it can shave off, Google's search engine is an incredible invention. Of course, a lot of this digital digging is a marketing tactic used by companies and Google itself to show us ads and other sources of revenue. But a large part of it is also Chapter 3, where ML teaches HI. When we look at the world through algorithms, it may seem like it would get a lot more complex, but it actually becomes much simpler. As humans, we often overthink things with our emotions and past experiences. We see every decision as its own solitary issue with a unique set of difficulties and rewards. But mathematically speaking, many of these problems come down to the same fundamentals. Think back to your high school math class. When combined and utilized correctly, the same set of formulas were used for a myriad of problems. The most complicated equations came down to the same root functions, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. When faced with a new algebraic problem, the solution didn't require inventing new ways of adding and subtracting, but simply picking the right form of calculation, inputting the values, and solving for x. The same goes for applying algorithms to our everyday lives. When you look past the emotional ties and biases attached to most choices in life, you'll see how similar many are. For instance, finding a parking spot, hiring a new assistant, buying a house, and choosing a romantic partner seem like very separate dilemmas. Yet they can all be solved with one equation, optimal stopping. Optimal stopping. Imagine you've just ended a relationship and have jumped back into the dating world. Ending a date with someone who finally shares your interests, you wonder, is this as good as it gets? Your friends tell you there are more fish in the sea, but you've seen enough duds to know many of those fish are best left off the hook. With every bad date, you feel the clock ticking down towards desperation. Every day you wait... Chapter 4 how to create your optimal schedule. Doing everything we need to do in the little time we have is an everyday struggle. Whether we're juggling our children's appointments, our extracurriculars and assignments, or trying to fit in all the workouts and meditations for our wellness program, life is a series of scheduling puzzles. What activity fits where? What pieces need to be placed first to guide the others? No wonder our brains are always trying to save energy when we have so many decisions and calculations to make in life. Because that's exactly what these problems are, equations. Although these situations may not seem measurable, like any good algorithm, they require the following steps to complete a task based on certain parameters. We use formulas every day to divide our time into sections and complete tasks. However, we're not always as efficient at it as we could be. That's not a dig at human nature. Scheduling is a difficult task that even computers struggle with, perhaps even more so than we do. Scientific Management 
Humans have tried to help machines to be better at scheduling for years. In 1847, machinist Frederick Taylor noticed the machines at the steelworks where he worked were slower than he might have liked and came up with the idea of scientific management. Taylor used this method to alter the processing order and increase efficiency at the company. The idea changed the way work was done for years to come. Let's say you're a writer and are looking to publish several short stories. You've prepared outlines and have estimated the length of each. You also have an editor on standby to polish the drafts for release, and they've kindly supplied you with approximate timelines for every project. The Chapter 5. Predictions, Dopamine, Machines, and Humans In Kuwait, in February of 1991, Commander Lieutenant Michael Riley faced the choice that no one likes to encounter in life, an impossible one. While monitoring radar screens, Riley noticed an incoming blip that made his blood turn cold. He had a feeling that the marker was a missile, which seemed headed straight for one of the ships in port. But he had no logical evidence to support his gut reaction. Riley had seen many similar blips during his shift, which were usually harmless fighter jets who had turned off their communications to avoid detection by the Iraqis. The blips looked the same either way. The only way to distinguish between a deadly missile and a harmless jet was their altitude, which could not be read by the radar he had. If the blip were a missile, the fleet would be destroyed and numerous lives would be lost. But if it was a fighter jet, Riley would have authorized friendly fire and would lose his job. He decided to go with his gut and fire. Hours later, when a team finally went and viewed the wreckage, they found the remains of a silkworm missile. Riley had been right, but no one, including himself, knew why. Hours upon hours of analysis by expert revealed there was no way Riley could have distinguished the blip, at least until 1993, when Gary Klein, who had been studying decision-making in high-intensity situations, investigated Riley's case from a psychological viewpoint. Eventually, he found the answer. Although the radar Riley used could not show altitude, the lieutenant had evaluated it subconsciously due to... Chapter 6. DIY Algorithm Design Houston, we have a problem. All right, how do we solve it? Our lives are peppered with problems. Small ones, big ones, and seemingly insurmountable ones. But no matter how big or small our troubles are, their solution always starts with a plan. In this book, we call that plan an algorithm. So far, we've learned that our decision-making process is not as reliable as we'd like to think. We are emotional, not rational actors. We also learn that computers do a good job at replicating optimized solutions to specific problems. However, with abstract thinking, computers can't make good calls. In this chapter, and the following two, we'll finally bring together all that we've learned to merge the best of artificial and human intelligence. We will use an algorithmic formula to design optimal solutions to abstract problems, such as overcoming procrastination and nip overthinking in the bud. 
I'm about to present the formula I designed by Stephen Edwards, Brian Dorn, and Dean Sanders on their website, Objects First. There are many types of algorithms. Your grandma's pumpkin pie recipe is an algorithm. How to connect your wireless headphones to your phone is an algorithm. A map about how to get from A to B is an algorithm. And so is the Pythagorean theorem. Some algorithms are formal mathematical, others graphical or informal. Therefore, we can create our algorithm in multiple ways. If the algorithm solves our problem, the form doesn't matter too much. Objects First's algorithm plan highlights five key steps we will also use here. Chapter 7, The Procrastination Algorithm How long would it take you to paint a 30 by 21 inch painting? Let's not get caught up in your artistic abilities. Assume you are a practicing Bob Ross apprentice. So, what's your guesstimate? One month? Six months? One year, my perfectionist friend? Whatever number popped up in your mind, you probably wouldn't have said 16 years. Because that's exactly how long Leonardo took da Vinci to paint the Mona Lisa. Did da Vinci continuously dabble on his easel during this time? Nope. Why did it take him so long to finish our era's most famous portrait then? Well, he, like many of us, mere mortals, was affected by procrastination. And I would like to point out, this guy was going places. Today we look at his work as the paragon of productivity and quality. He gave us The Last Supper, The Vitruvian Man, and dozens of other world-famous paintings. But da Vinci was a curious and well-seasoned polymath. He left behind works on human anatomy, sketches of flying machines, and other modern, 15th century modern, machinery and weaponry. And I'd also like to add that many of his works were left unfinished. Leonardo da Vinci was a productivity superstar and excellent at procrastinating. Many of his unfinished projects are still considered beautiful, some for the very reason that they are unfinished. Quality work, even if it goes unfinished, is still worth your effort. So even if you fail to finish some of your projects, don't beat yourself up too harshly. Da Vinci did it too. Our greatest grievance with procrastination is... Chapter 8. The Overthinking Algorithm Have you ever tossed and turned in your bed because you felt a little nod behind your ear or on your neck? To alleviate your worry, you googled what it could be. Based on your research, you concluded it's most likely a lymph node. You went back to bed with the assurance that you don't have terminal cancer when your eyes suddenly pop open again. You're such a worst-case scenario thinker. It's bad. Why should you think so negatively? What if you're doing yourself some intentional self-harm? Maybe you'll give yourself cancer with all the unnecessary cortisol you just pumped into your body twice, thrice. Shoot, maybe you should see a therapist. Okay, what kind of therapist? Maybe you're hypochondriac and not negative. Then a psychiatrist would be a better option. Or would it? Who the hell knows? You Google it. You feel bad about your incessant worry. Maybe you have an anxiety disorder. No, you can't generalize your diagnosis just based on this one evening. 
oh no, what if you're in denial? Maybe this is what people with mental health problems do. They try to rationalize themselves out of it. Maybe you should just sleep on it. Relax. But it's already 2 a.m. You realize you can only sleep five hours now. What if you'll be tired tomorrow? On and on it goes. The paragraph above is a classic example of overthinking. You take a piece of information and blow it out of proportion. Excessive thinking happens when your thought processes are out of control, injecting distress and anxiety into your life. Your brain's primary aim is to help you understand things more. This has been Thinking in Algorithms, How to Combine Computer Analysis and Human Creativity for Better Problem Solving and Decision Making. Strategic Thinking Skills, Book 2, written by Albert Rutherford, narrated by Russell Newton. Copyright 2021 by Albert Rutherford. Production copyright by Albert Rutherford. To learn more about today's author or book, please visit Amazon.com or Audible.com. Show notes and further information can be found at RussellEricNewton.com. With an eclectic collection of insights, knowledge, and trivia from some of the newest audiobooks on the market, this has been the Voice Over Work podcast, brought to you by Newton Media Group, a family of creative services.